I'm going to continue our sermon series on Ephesians, but as we do, since we're so small and we can all hear each other from the very back there, Mike, shout out. Can I hear you? Okay. Then we'll do some feedback and we'll make it a little more interactive. So I I welcome that. And this, just just don't hijack the uh, service. Okay. I'm excited about this, this particular text, because... One of the reasons in going into the book of Ephesians was Ephesians emphasizes the church, ecclesiology, really well. And there's some very foundational and profound truths in Ephesians about the church and the purpose of the church. God's design for the church, as we'll be looking at today, and actually next week, Pastor Mike's going to be sharing on chapter 4, and Paul unpacks even more the the nature of the church and, and how we're the function and, and, and how it works together. And so we're going to kind of be looking at that a little bit. So the message is entitled The Pursuit of God's Plan and Purposes. And we're looking specifically in, in light of the church, God's plans and purposes for the church. So I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll get dig into the text. And actually, Lord will, and we're going to cover the whole chapter tonight. We'll read the first 13 verses and, and talk about that. And then we'll go into the prayer. So, Father, thank you for your church and the great plans, the good plans that you have for the church that are good. And we trust your goodness. We trust your sovereignty and your power and and your providence and, and your wisdom, God, to work out your plans in our lives. And I pray that that would be encouragement to every one of your people here tonight, God, that we would Be encouraged that you're working your sovereign power towards us and for our good. You're working things for our good, God, and and you're, you're, you're totally able and you're totally willing to hear our prayers and answer our prayers and do great things on in our lives and through our lives. And so we ask for that. We ask that you would come even tonight, awaken us tonight to, to who you are, to what you're doing to your purposes and your plans, and would you just move us more onto your agenda as individuals and as a church, that we would be moved onto your agenda and that we would be sold out for it, and that the cares of this life and all the distractions and all the other things that mean nothing in eternity would be laid aside and that we would give ourselves to run hard after you and for that which you've laid a hold of us for and saved us for. And I ask for your help now. I ask that you strengthen me now and help me to handle your word well and be with us in our interaction and, and feedback too as we dig in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Ephesians 3, and I'm going to just start here with the big idea and then I'm going to read the text. So, so here's where we're going. God has a purpose and a plan that he is working out in history through his church, and Paul's prayer is for that purpose and plan to come to fruition in the life of the Ephesian church. Okay, so as we looked at last week, we we got a glimpse of what God's doing in the church. The church is a family. The church is a building, a temple. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile. The church is the dwelling place of God, and the gospel tears down the walls of racism and brings together this diverse, beautiful church that reflects the kingdom of heaven, diversity and the beauty of heaven. 
And so this is where we're going, and then I'm going to read Ephesians 3, verse 1, or I'm going to go through 13, and then we'll, we'll stop and talk about that. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here Paul is giving us a glimpse in what some, some might describe as like the holiest place, some insight to the eternal purpose of God, to what God's doing. There's this mystery revealed that he refers to. Paul starts off saying that he's, he's a prisoner for Christ. By the way, he's in Rome being held as a prisoner of Rome. He's in jail. This is one of the, the prison epistles, and he's writing this letter. So he has some free time on his hands. He's writing this letter to the church, and he says that he's a, he's a prisoner for Christ. So he's, he's a prisoner of Rome, but it's for Christ's sake. It's for the gospel's sake, and it's for specifically for these Gentiles, on behalf of the Gentiles, because Paul was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul would have avoided a lot of trouble in his ministry if he just didn't try to reach the Gentiles. If he would have just left them, those guys alone and, and just preached to the Jews, I think he could have avoided a lot of trouble. He still had a lot of trouble from the Jews. But it was, it was specifically this deal about the Gentiles being included in God's plan that seemed to agitate and cause trouble amongst the Jewish people. Uh, when Paul was preaching that, that the gospel's going to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are included in God's plan. And now we have a church, a body that's made up of Jew and Gentile. And so Paul being a prisoner of Christ, he was a prisoner of Christ because he was preaching the gospel and he was, he was trying to reach Gentiles. And, and this is actually in his conversion. We'll look at it later. In his conversion, this is something that Jesus says to him specifically from the very beginning of his conversion that Paul was going to minister to the Gentiles, that Paul was going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And from the very beginning of Paul's conversion, he had insight and revelation to the plans and the purposes of God, to what God was up to, namely bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Notice verse 2 
that Paul describes his ministry and what he had received from God as a stewardship of God's grace. Another place he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul had a high view of the grace of God, and he recognized that he didn't deserve to have this ministry. It was a gift of grace, and God had given him the grace who God had called him to be and to do what God had called him to do. And by his grace, he was going to walk it out. He wasn't trusting in his own resources, his own strength, his own will, his own intellect, but he was trusting in God and the Spirit of God to be his strength, to be his guide, to lead him into being a faithful steward. Verse 3, it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So Paul, by grace, was given revelation from God, and then he had a, he had a responsibility to make that revelation known. The mystery of the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel, and then this verse 6 actually tells us what the mystery is here. The mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That they're members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so verse 5 says that it was, it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So God was doing something with the Gentiles. Remember in Acts 10 when through one of the apostles God was giving a paradigm shift. It was Peter. Jesus shows up in a vision and says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, hey, I don't eat unclean stuff. And this was, this was more about, this was more than just about dietary stuff that, that Jesus was addressing. He was addressing the fact that God was bringing Gentiles to the church. And so he sends them to Cornelius. And, and the Spirit starts falling on the Gentiles. And Gentiles start coming to faith. And by the way, Gentiles are every other nation besides a Jewish person. So in, in here we got, we got Asian, we got Latino, we got Texan, Indian. Okay, help me out. Do we have anything else in here? Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay, that, that counts. Okay. European. European. Okay. So the Gentiles are the nations. The Gentiles are every other race. And God had a plan from the beginning so this wasn't like plan B. This wasn't like, okay, uh, there's a problem here. We need to change things up. God, from the beginning, was, had this plan to bring in Gentiles, the nations, every tribe and every tongue worshiping around the throne. This was God's plan, God's vision, and God had revealed this to Paul. God had given, revealed it to Peter, but for the, for the average Jewish mind, this was, this was difficult to grasp. They, they needed, the Jewish, average Jewish mind needed a paradigm shift. God's doing something bigger than just what he's doing in Israel. But he's starting in Israel. He's starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the other ends of the world. But God's bringing together this, this people, this multicultural people. And that's, that's a part of our vision here. That's God's plan, eternal plan and purpose for the church a part of it, and, and that's our vision here at City Church. We long to and pray for and, and, and seek to be a diverse church, ethnically diverse church, reflecting the beauty of heaven. So that's verse 6. That's God's plan right there revealed. Actually, the NLT says it like this. And this was God's plan. 
both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. So this is God's plan revealed, revealed to the Apostle Paul. And he has this unique role as, as an apostle of Christ. Okay, well, I'm going to go, go back to Paul's conversion. I want you to see this. So Paul is before Agrippa, and he's recounting his conversion. My Bible, he starts saying Saul here. It's in red because Jesus showed up to, to Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here's the Lord's purpose and plan for the Apostle Paul. A little insight to, to what God's doing in and through his life. That he was specifically going to save him and send him to the Gentiles. Verse 17, to whom I'm sending you. And specifically to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Now, I just want to point out here, this Ephesian church is, is mostly Gentiles. This is, it's largely Gentiles. And Paul is walking in his purpose in planting this church, leading this church to Christ. And, and even the two prayers in Ephesians that he prays for the Ephesian church go right along with what, what God had called him to do, to open their eyes. What was the first prayer in chapter 1? That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the power that works towards us who believe. You could summarize it up as enlightenment, okay? So to open their eyes. So, so he prays for that. So he prays into that. He proclaims the gospel to them so that their eyes would be open. God works through the, the preaching of the gospel. And then look at the second part. The second prayer that we're going to look at, you could summarize it up as enablement. So enlightenment or enablement, power. That the church would experience the power of God. That the church would know the power of God and experience it in their life. So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, to God's power. So Paul displayed this and walked in this, and he, he prayed into this, which we'll look at here in a, in a minute, that a part of pursuing God's purposes and plans involves prayer, us engaging in prayer. And what a privilege, what a great privilege you and I have to join with God in our prayers to see his plans and purposes fulfilled. So when we talk about the, the purposes and the plans of God, one of the things I, I, I would point out is that the purposes of God are the reasons and the basis for God's actions. So the, the, the why, if you will. 
the, the, the purposes of God are the why behind what God is doing. And the plans are, are his plans are the things that he's actually doing, his actions, what he has planned and he's carrying out. And the plans address the what. And so everything God does has a reason behind it. And this should encourage us that for the church, we have great purpose that, that God has designed us for, great plans in store for us, and the Lord will be faithful to bring those about in our lives, individually and as a church. As a church, we can trust that God is going to fulfill his plans, yet we have a responsibility in this too. So as Pastor Mike pointed out about this, this text, is you can see the sovereignty of God in it, and you can see the responsibility of man and, and see the connection there, God's part and our part. And Paul was in tune with it. Spiritual leadership is helping move people on to God's agenda. You see, Paul was walking in that as a spiritual leader. He was helping move, first of all, non-Christians to becoming Christians, and then Christians to becoming Christ-like and mature in their faith, reflecting the glory of God, moving them on to his agenda. And I, I think he did that well, and it's my desire to lead in that way as well. What is God's plan for the church? We already said it. God's plan for the church is that the church be a multicultural church, that the church reflect the beauty and diversity of heaven. What's God's purpose for the church? Check this out in verse 10. This is a purpose statement for the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that mean? What does that mean that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church? And, and who, who is that being made known to? So this is a purpose statement about the church. One of the reasons we, we're here. Now, there's, there's other things we could say about the purpose of the church. This isn't exhaustive. You know, we're here to make disciples and we're here to worship God. Or, or, or we could say with the church throughout history that it's kind of summed up our purpose. We're here for the glory of God ultimately, if you want to sum it up. To glorify God and enjoy him forever, Right? Okay, but here there's this statement that the church is to, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Like, God has a plan and a purpose, and in it being unraveled and revealed in human history, his wisdom is put on display. Oh, the depths of the wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable. A part of that wisdom being put on display is the diversity, the, multi, the multicultural dynamic of the church. And this is something, well, these rulers and authorities, we're told in Ephesians 6 that these rulers, principalities, and so on, and that's speaking of evil rulers and principalities, right? But, but this, this here, some commentators would point out, and I, I would agree, that this is both good and evil angels, the angelic host. You know, angels like desire to, to look into what God's doing, this great salvation. Hebrews 13 says this, that, tells us that, that we can entertain angels, you know, so entertain strangers, you know, welcome them, entertain them, because some have entertained angels and didn't even know it. So like there's a whole 
angelic hosts around us that we don't see that's looking on at us, the church, and they're, they're, they're marveling at the wisdom of God. One, in, in bringing diversity, bringing Jew and Gentile, bringing this beautiful the people from different backgrounds, rich or poor, young and old, black or white, Asian, Hispanic, and so on, Jew and Gentile, and bringing them together in one church for the glory of God. There's God's plan is beautiful. And I just, it makes me want to worship as I think about this, as, as we're, we're thinking about what God's up to, who he is and what he's up to. It just elicits worship. It, it stirs my heart to, to worship God and praise him for his purpose. Ephesians gives us profound insight to the plans and the purposes of God. He starts, Paul starts this letter with, with some statements about God's plans and purposes that go back before the foundation of the world. He uses language like predestination. He uses language like uh, election or he's chosen us. Verse 11, 111, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, according to his purpose. And so Ephesians has this deep insight to the purposes of God and what he's doing specifically through the church. Amen? Is that interesting? Does that anybody got just a question or a comment on that? This idea that that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities, which I'm saying are just angelic hosts, good good angels and bad angels. That they're like they're looking on the church and watching and the good ones are going to glorify God for the great things that he's doing for his wise and beautiful plan and saving a diverse people, and then the evil ones, demons, are reminded that all things are going to be brought to subjection to Christ, and that their their final destruction is intimate. It's coming. So how did Paul fit into that God's plan and purpose? We've already looked at that. Acts twenty six. Paul knew knew what he, what he was there for, and he he walked in it, and he helped move the people of God onto God's agenda. And specifically, how did he pursue God's plan and purpose? We see in verse 3, through preaching. To, to me, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in, for ages in God who created all things. And so through preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and specifically he's referring to, he describes that as the unsearchable riches of Christ, to preach those, to preach about Christ and, and, and his riches and the, the gospel of grace, if you will. So preaching, and the other thing is through, through prayer. So that brings us to, actually before, let me, let me read this one quote before I, I get there to this next section. So here, here's a quote from, from one commentator. Beholding God's wisdom leads good angels to glorify God since they long to look into God's redemptive plan, 1 Peter 1.12. Evil powers, on the other hand, are reminded that God's plan of uniting all things under Christ has decisively begun and their final defeat is imminent. Here's a quote from Daryl Bach. The church is to be an audio-visual display of God's reconciling work. In this primary way, she testifies to God's grace and wisdom. So Paul encouraged living in Christ in such a way that reconciliation is the dominant feature of church life. 
remember what Paul's building off of here. He's, he addressed, as we looked at last week in chapter 2, this, this tearing down of this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. The gospel tears down these walls and unites a people for, for his glory, for the glory of God. So Paul prays into that. So for this reason, so here he picks up that statement. He seems to, he starts off chapter 3 with for this reason. He digresses into God's plan. And then he, he picks back up in prayer here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul prays into this. The first thing is he prays for strength, that, that they would be strengthened according to, to his power, the power of his spirit, that the church would be strengthened. Anybody need strength today? Anybody need strength in your heart, in your inner man? You need to be strengthened so that you can serve God and do his will and fulfill his plans for your life? This is a prayer. We should pray this for one another. I sent this out on our, on our email this week. Let's, let's pray this for one another that we would be empowered and strengthened. Some of us are bearing such heavy loads throughout the week with family, with work, with ministry, with sicknesses, and so on. We need strength. We need the power of the Spirit so that we can reflect the God who is almighty. Notice how he finishes up this whole section he finishes up with the doxology in verse 20. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able, as we sang tonight. God is all-powerful, and so he can strengthen us, and he can answer our prayers. This is foundational for our prayers for bringing our requests to him, that he's able. He's able to answer our requests. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's almighty God. And so Paul's first prayer was enlightenment, one that we would see, that we would know the power of God that works towards us who believe, that our eyes would be open to it. And here, he's praying that we would experience it, that we would experience the power of God, that we would experience the love of God, and the power of God. You see, when you got insight to who God is, that he's able and that he's willing, he is so for us. All that sovereign power that holds up the universe is working towards us. He leverages that for us, towards us, for us, working things for our good. That should fuel your prayers. That should fuel your praises to God. He strengthens us. He empowers us. And we need to leave more room, specifically amongst evangelicals, we need to leave more room for this experience with God, this experiencing of God. This is, that's what Paul's pointing us here to. This is not just a, a intellectual knowledge or just a mere theological knowledge that we just take and we store it up here. 
This is something that we experience relationally in our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. The power of God energizing us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. I think I've tended to err on that a little bit and, and not leaving enough room for experience. And, and then at times maybe making too much emphasis on experience as well. But, but here Paul is praying that, that the church would experience God's power. That the, the church would, by the Spirit. And look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if, if you're like me and you, you, you kind of you think, how does that fit in with what he said in chapter 1 or in other places? Now, did, didn't he already tell us, tell the church that we have the Holy Spirit, that Christ, Colossians, we, we studied Colossians, the previous book. That Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Don't Christians already have Christ dwelling within their hearts by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ? So what does he mean here? What does he mean by Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? And so one of the ways to illustrate that, I think, is, and it's helpful, it's helpful for me. Kendall and I, uh, four, four years ago or so, we bought a house. We were so excited. It's our very first house, and we love it. We got an awesome deal on it, and... It needed some updates. It needed some new carpet. It had some, some very old, outdated wallpaper that just had to go. It needed some fresh coats of paint. It needed some, some new flooring. Me and my stepdad, we put in the, the, the flooring there. Eventually, we were able to get new countertops. We got rid of these, these old countertops that were very un, undesirable. We were able to get new grass, get the yard going and looking good. And, and we made each room and each area suitable for us to live in, to dwell in. Now, when we signed that contract, our loan was approved and everything, that, that house was, was ours. It was in our name. And yet, it's taken time for us to make it more ours, to make it more suitable for us. As day by day goes on, we've, we've made it our own home. The Lejeunes, yesterday, they just moved in to their first house. Praise God, what an answer to prayer. They got a great deal on a house here in Garland. And, and there's just a lot of potential with that place. And those of you who know Amanda and know that she's very creative and gifted at decor and decorating and stuff, they are going to make that house their, their dwelling place. They're, they're going to dwell in that house and, and make every room and little area there's a little space in the backyard, a little extra space that they discovered. And, and every closet and every bathroom, they're going to make it their own and dwell in it and, and decorate it and use it for the, the best way that them and their family will use it. And in a similar way, Christ dwells in our hearts. He, he takes up resident. He, one, he already lives there for Christians. We have his spirit. But yet there are areas of our hearts that we still need to, to let him do a remodeling in. There are rooms and closets and, and, and areas in our hearts that, that Christ wants full reign in, that he wants to design and make glorious and beautiful and pure, and specifically, he wants, he wants this love to fill that heart. Every area, every area of our hearts, he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. This is significant for what Paul was building on in chapter 2, Jew and Gentile being reconciled. Jew and Gentile being one church and worshiping together. 
who formerly they didn't worship together. There was this separation. There was this dividing wall. So having the love of Christ, having Christ fill their hearts and them being rooted and grounded in love was huge for them to be the church, to walk out God's purpose and plan for the church, that they would be rooted and grounded. And then he goes on. He says that, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That they would know it. That they would experience it. Not just to know it here, but to know it here. Really know it. And I've, I've said this often that my kids, we tell them that we love them all the time. I mean, we tell them that we love them. And, and we often feel like they just don't get it how much we really love them. I mean... I know they feel love from us, and they tell us they love us back, and there are things that, that they say and, and do that, that make our hearts respond as well. But, but it's like we, we have to try really hard for them to get it. And we've got to show it with our actions, but then communicate it with their words, hugs, attention, eyes, ears, and, and, and so on. We, we have to display it. God wants us to get this. More than anything, God wants us to get this. The Father, our Father who loves us in force, wants us to get this. We can't hear this enough. Okay, next time somebody says Jesus loves you or God loves you, don't just dismiss that as, oh yeah, I already know that. That's an that's a elementary truth for, for kids. Je- the song Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Don't just dismiss that as, that's just for the kids to sing. See, that's a simple truth. But yet it's a truth that, that we struggle to really believe here and to really know here and really to experience here. So that's why Paul prays into this, that the church would know the love of Christ. And before they're going to show the love of Christ, they need to know the love of Christ. They need to experience it for themselves, experience God's love for them and all their junk and all their failures, all their warts and quirky Quirky little things that God loves them and accepts them, receives them. He's for them. And all that power that he has is working towards them who believe. This should change the way we approach God. This this should make us want to approach God because we have access to him. And he, he doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't just tolerate us. He enjoys us. He doesn't. He doesn't just love us. He, he even likes us. He takes delight in, in who we are. He created us and recreated us in Christ Jesus for his glory. Notice this last part of the prayer. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is awesome. Building off of 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There's this idea of this fullness of God filling every part. That God's filling every part of our lives, every part that he is reigning in and over, that he's working through, that we're surrendered. We're letting him do what he wants to do. In Ephesians chapter 5, we'll, we'll see Paul exhorts the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There is still room for you to be filled with God. There's still room for you to reflect his power, for you to reflect his love. And And I would summarize this as God's glory. God's glory in the church being revealed. This is all this right here, who God is, his power, his love, his fullness. That's his glory. That's the glory of God in the church. And that's exactly how he finishes up 
with, with the doxology, with the praise. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So how do we fit into to God's plan and God's purpose? As a church, as individuals, how do we fit in? What's, what's our part? What's, what's God doing? What's he wanting to do through us and planning to do through us? Any input? Multiply. multiply. Amen. Be fruitful. Multiply. It's good. Anything else? I think prayer, prayer and preaching is, is huge there. That just, that's what Paul did. He prayed. He preached. He planted churches. And he was, he was in tune with, with what God was up to. It starts there, yeah. Yeah, just you've got to know what his plans and purposes are and be in agreement. And, and be excited about it. Be passionate about it. Be committed to the plans and the purposes of God. We need to know them, and we really need to care about them. And I think the more, the more we get to know God, the more we are more concerned and, and passionate about his purposes and his plans. I mean, in Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul said he was pursuing knowing Jesus, like going hard after him. That was first and foremost, knowing him, loving him, walking with him. But then he, in verse 12, he says that he presses on that he may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid a hold of him. The purpose and the plan that the very reason that, that Christ laid a hold of Paul, he said he's pressing on. He's running hard after that. He's running hard to know him. And he's running hard after his plans and his purposes. Anybody else? Thank you. That, I was, that was actually something I was thinking about. Knowing how God's designed, it, designed us and he gifted us and just using that to serve the body. Because we fit right in to the body of Christ. We have a part that fits perfectly into the body of Christ and we're to use that and fulfill that part. And that's what Pastor Mike's going to preach on next week in Ephesians 4, that there's these parts that working together that as we do that, we cause growth to the body. It builds up the church. And Anything else? Diversity. Loving diversity, yeah. If there's, we talked about that last week. You know, if there's, there's barriers in our hearts towards people that are different than us, if, if, if we want a, a homogeneous church and homogeneous community, like just people who are like us, then that's a problem, especially if we live in a very diverse community and city. That's a problem if we're not loving our neighbors. Anything else? Yeah, just in, in the word, renewing your mind. Daily getting your mind renewed. And and one of the things I've heard, and I agree with this, that, that purpose, purpose produces passion. So... When we know our purpose, we know what God's up to and God's plans and purposes for us, it produces passion in our lives. So if we're passionless, then we need to go back to there, just fighting for a, a perspective and knowing his purpose. And It's good. Yeah, we, God calls us to risk. Calls us to risk. And, and as, as we try to fulfill God's plan and, and fit in the part that he's given us, we're going to fall. There's going to be times where just, you know, things don't go well, where there's going to be times where I preach a bad sermon. 
You know, there's going to be times where I go flat leading a worship song, or Kevin, you go flat leading a worship song, or whatever, you know, or, you know, playing the wrong keys, you know, or whatever. You know, things happen. There's going to be times as a mom that you're just going to get frustrated with the kids. Uh, there's going to be times at work where you're just going to be frustrated with coworkers and you're just going to not want to be patient and kind towards them and show the love of Christ and just, just ignore, cut them off in your spirit. That's where we fail to reflect the glory of God and, and walk in the purpose of God. But it takes faith. We got to step out in what God's calling us to do, even though we may fail we may blow it, but it's not about us. It's about him. And that, that's one of the things that concerning this church plant, like that encourages me that this is not about me. This is about what God's up to. This idea of making disciples and planting churches, I didn't come up with this. You know, I, I wasn't brilliant enough to just come up with this idea. God did, you know, and I just want to jump in with what he's doing and just be faithful be faithful with the little and, and continue to be faithful to pray, be faithful to proclaim, faithful to love, faithful to serve, faithful to keep close connections with God. I mean, because really we can't do that. We can't fulfill God's plan and purpose without being in close relationship with him, without abiding. We can't be fruitful without abiding in the vine. And so I think we just keep going back to that. That's where our strength comes from. That's where we're reminded we get perspective. That's where we're reminded that God loves us and he's for us. And that love casts out fear. That love frees us up. That love heals us and so on. So I'd like to, if anybody has, I'd like for us to close in prayer and worship. Okay, come on, come on. Say it one more time. If God wants to do something, we have to be crazy enough to believe that he wants to use us to do it. Amen. You guys crazy enough to believe he wants to use you to do it? You know, Gideon was like, hey, he's this little guy. So on, there's, there's folks throughout the Bible who are like that. So let's, um, let's, let's have a time of prayer. Let's press into this. And, and I may open up the mic as we do. But let's press in. Let's, let's go hard after God for the next few minutes and, and connect with him and apply what we just talked about, that we would experience his power, that we would experience his love, that we would be filled with his fullness. And, and let's be faithful to pray into that. Father, I, I thank you for these precious brothers and sisters to walk with and to do life together with and to reflect your glory with. It's our desire that we would reflect more and more the diversity of heaven, of, of what you desire for the church to be. That we'd be multi-ethnic, that we would be uh, loving across various barriers, united in our diversity because of Jesus' sake, because of the gospel's sake, and that we would together strive together for the faith of the gospel. That we've strived together, not with one, not against one another, but with one another in this community, in this place here. Striving together for the faith of the gospel, displaying the love of Christ, being filled with your fullness, God. And making known your wisdom, making known your love, making known your power, making known who you are and what you're up to, God. For all to see that they may glorify you.